This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. On this episode of the Paltrowcast, I spoke with three musicians who are currently on tour, Keb Moe, live frontman Ed Kowalczyk, and Ed Vogue singer Terry Ellis. First up is my interview with Ed Kowalczyk from Live, who is touring with Bush and Our Lady Peace this summer. Since reuniting with Live in 2016, Ed released a new EP titled Local 717 with the band. He has also been active as an actor and solo artist over the years. Hi, Darren. Ted Kowalczyk from Live. Right on time there, Ed. How's it going today? Great. I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. Thank you very much. And I first want to compliment you and start this off with a compliment and say you in 2019 are singing as great as ever. You look as great as you did 25 years ago, if not better. What's your secret with all that? Oh, man. Well, thank you very much. You know, I, I do what I love. So I, I think that's a huge part of... Uh, of that and how I, I just, you know, just being able to, to make music, uh, as much as I get to do it. And it's just, it's just a beautiful life. I'm, I'm really grateful for it. And I, I think it, I think that just, you know, the place where I, I, you know, just feel so happy, you know, just so grateful. I mean, we've had, of course, it has its ups and downs, but overall it's been a, it's a hell of a ride and we're having more fun than ever. So I guess that might be it. <laughs> now in the case of live, you sold millions upon millions of albums with Throwing Copper. The album after that sold well. The album before that sold well. But of course, there's that you know awkward period of where you go from being one of the biggest bands to getting a little smaller to now being yeah. you know an arena level band again. I'm curious when you figured out, hey, um, this is a career. This is not just based on hits. Well, I have to say that from the very beginning, I, I we all in the band just wanted to emulate. Uh, our heroes who were all about, you know, making sure that the art and the creativity came first, everything they did record to record, um, bands like REM were huge influence on us, you know, because we just saw them and bands like that as, as, um, doing it for real and, and, and really coming from an artistic place. Um, of course they've been very successful commercially too, but, and that, you know, happened for us pretty quickly. But we always, you know, the anchor was always this, the inspiration that we got from our early influences like REM, that, you know, you could have a career, you could be successful um, commercially, but there was this uh, center of gravity of artistry that, you know, and fans like that always, to me, you know, stayed super focused on. And so that, that inspired us. And I think, um, I think it served us well, you know, um, we never wanted to repeat ourselves from record to record, regardless of what the record company said, Hey, could you, you know, do throwing copper part two, three, and four for us, please. <laughs> you know, which is a natural enough response from them, but we never were interested in that. We wanted to stay, um, stay focused on being, uh, you know, being spontaneous and creative and, and whatever that meant uh, at the, at, at the time, you know? 
Well, Secret Samadhi was a departure in a lot of ways. You went spiritual at a time when radio really wasn't spirituality oriented. And I'm curious if you mm-hmm. had a lot of pushback from the label on that. Oh, yeah, we had pushback from the label a lot, especially after we sold 8 million records or whatever. Um, there was just more pressure to, um, you know, keep that train running. And and so that butted up against our, our like, our... Um, vision of being a you know, real artist, you know, a lot. Uh, and um, so Secret Samadhi was in, in some ways, you know, a, a real sort of statement that we weren't going to play the game, that we were going to do what we wanted to do. Um, and I, I, I like to think that we did that with every album, give or take, you know, that we tried to stay there. Um, and I think that, you know, now in hindsight, 25 years after throwing copper, the fact that we're still, you know, people are still so interested in us and, and the fans are still so loyal. I think it's, um, History has shown that we, by staying focused on that, we've, regardless of the ups and downs, we've stayed uh, important to our fans. And Local 717 was the EP a couple of years ago. Is there more uh, planned recording from the band live? Absolutely. Um, We have an amazing studio uh, in our hometown of York and um, York, Pennsylvania. We plan to get back back in there as soon as we can. Um, It's funny because, you know, um, when we got the band back together after our breaks, breakup it surprised us how creative we wanted to be right away um you know besides just doing the shows we we got right back in there but it's been a catch-22 of the the intense um interest in the band again um on the touring side that we have we've we've got this i guess a high class problem now of like you know finding the time to to do that so um we're hoping that after this tour with bush uh this year which takes us through october that we're going to get our heads back in that creative space and I look to do another EP for next year and uh, we were super excited about local 717 and we kind of had to leave it, you know, kind of halfway. We would have put another one out, maybe another EP right away, but we ended up being on tour so much. uh, So we're trying to find that balance. A lot of bands have, you know, four members who live in four different cities. Is everyone in York these days? You know, no, Um, actually the only, technically the only guy who still lives right in York is Patrick, our bass player. Um, Chad lives not, Chad Taylor lives not too far away in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm in Connecticut, so I'm a little bit of a drive. And then, um, our drummer has been in California forever. So he's, he's the fly guy. He's got to fly all the time to, to meet up and come back to York with me being back East. Um, since that actually happened, um, I was in California for a long time too. So it was the timing was perfect because I actually moved back East, um, before the band got back together. So, um, when it did happen, we were as local as we had been for a long time to each other. And it's, it, that feels really good. So do you fully identify as a York person? For example, are the Pennsylvania sports teams still your go-tos? <laughs> you know, I've never, I, I haven't really paid attention to sports for a long time, but back when I was a kid, it was, you know, I was, I would say I was a pirates guy because I, I used to go to uh, the Western part of the state a lot, like lots of relatives out there. So I was a Steelers and a uh, pirates guy, even though I was, technically closer to philly geographically um i I took a little crap for that but i like i said it's it's more uh i I don't really pay too much attention these days which is which is good i'm like i'm like switzerland now with regards to sports in pennsylvania (laughs) another thing that's very interesting to me about live is that even though you have these songs that everyone knows all the words to not a lot is known about you personally you know, people, for example, they can recognize you guys. They go, oh, yeah, that's Ed from Live. But they don't really know much about you. 
Is that something that mm-hmm. you regret at all, or is there something that you wish more people knew? I, you know, I'm again. I go back to the, you know, to the days of starting the band and the kind of artists that we were interested in and and were influenced by. You know, all my favorites. I didn't know a lot about. I, I, I there was a mystique to that. There was a a focus on what what, what I considered really mattered, which was the music, and not so much on the personalities and the, and the day to day stuff, which is, of course now is every, almost everything with social media and all that. So I think that's still just sort of the old fashioned part of of um, who we are as far as um, how we came up and what we focus on and what we value. Um, we just don't really take that part of it that seriously. The showbiz part, the, you know, having every nook and cranny kind of out there, you know, it's more like we're focused on the music and we're just, we feel like we're vehicles for that. And um, we've always been okay with, you know, being a more nameless and faceless to, and just letting the music speak. I've always felt like that was in, pretty important. And you've also worked over the years with a bunch of different artists on different one-off projects. Like I remember you collaborating with Rachel Yamagata on something. Are you big on following new artists and new music or does, you know, every now and then one things comes your way? Oh, I am I'm all over the place. I, I, the last few years it's been, I I would say 80% of everything I listen to like on my Spotify list for daily mixes is probably pre 1960s records, blues records, early rock and roll, early, country music i'm all over the place in terms of you know finding new music i mean that's the one thing i, I really do enjoy about um <clears throat> you know social media and all of the, the the ways that you can find out about music now um it's super exciting because it's really all over the place and oh my gosh yeah you mentioned rachel she sang with um with me on a on my one of my solo albums and i've worked with tricky and i worked with um and peter buck actually played mariam which was amazing for me as a fan played on my one of my solo albums um but new music, old music, um, my ears uh, always perk up, you know, no matter what. So I guess in closing, Ed, any last words for the kids? For the kids? Okay, we're going on tour with Bush. Come on out and see us. It's going to be a great tour. Next up is my phone interview with Terry Ellis from En Vogue. 2020 marks the 30th anniversary of En Vogue, which last year released its first album in 14 years. Beyond doing their own headlining dates, this summer En Vogue were part of Hammer's House Party alongside... MC Hammer, of course. We briefly spoke about that, and according to Terry, there's still a lot more to come from En Vogue. Hi, Terry. How's it going there? I am great, Darren. How are you? No complaints today. So first off, I think I'm like millions of other people where I first discovered En Vogue as a result of, you know, watching MTV in the early 90s. Of course, kept up with your career. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious when you knew that this was going to be a career, even if you didn't have top hit singles or music videos, that you could still play huge venues and continue to make albums. Well, thank God for social media, (laughs) Um, because you know, we just get a flood of requests in, uh, from our fans and our supporters. And, and so, you know, we knew, okay, well, even without a, a hit record out right now, we're still able to be consistent and, and continue to work. And we're really grateful for that. And then you yourself outside of En Vogue, I know that you did the Southern Gal album and you worked with Tony Braxton and all that. So you have never stopped working ultimately. Uh, was the goal initially for you to be a solo artist before En Vogue? Actually, no. Um, it's funny because I was I was the only one in the group that uh, had never had any interest in being solo, <laughs> which is really hilarious. Each each of us had solo um, options, uh, and we were gonna tap into that after the third album. But 
you know, things changed and we transitioned and we um, went through the process of renegotiating and was on hiatus. And so, and then uh, Cindy was having a baby, Maxine was having a baby. So I decided to exercise my option because I didn't want to stop working. (laughs) That definitely makes sense. And another thing that I really find interesting about En Vogue is that you guys were the first to do a lot of things or one of the first to do a lot of things. Like when you did the feature with Salt and Peppa and when you did the theme song to Hanging with Mr. Cooper, your group did a lot of things that were high profile that other groups weren't doing. And I'm wondering how much of that was calculated versus organic. It was all organic. (laughs) It was all organic. And it's funny you mentioned those things because you just made me realize just, you know, how, um, uh, how blessed we really were and, and what an impact we, we made, um, in the industry. Uh, and during that time, you know, during the nineties, I mean, it was such a huge musical time, which is why I think people are still requesting that music, but it made such an impact. And, um, you know, it was before social media and, you know, we were still in analog, uh, before we moved into to digital. So I think, um, all of those different variables, um, you know, had a, a huge impact on everything being so organic back then. Right. And when I look at your touring schedule, it's definitely a mix of things where sometimes, you know, they lump you in, oh, this is a 90s fest. And sometimes they say this is an R&B fest. And sometimes you're a headliner. And I'm curious, when you play a show, do you know outright here are the songs that we're playing or do you have to change it up depending on the theme of the show? No, it's the same show. The only the only variable may be you know, the time frame that's requested from us. Either it's going to be, uh, it could be a 20-minute performance, it could be a 30-minute performance, 45, or an hour and 15. That's the only variable. So, um, you know, and if the time changes like that, you know, we have a show for an hour and 15, meaning we do more songs, but our set list stays the same. And if it's 20 minutes, then we just focus on our hits. And a lot of artists who've sold, I believe you've sold over 20 million albums. A lot of artists have kind of a love-hate thing with their hits, where they say, you know what, I have some gems in my catalog that I wish I could perform, but that's not what people want to hear. And other artists will say, no, the crowd is into it for the hits. I love the hits. Where do you kind of stand with the hits? The crowd is into it for the hits. <laughs> you know, we you know, we got to give the people what they want, right? And and I'm I'm good with that, you know, because every just just being able to to continue to work and and to get requests from my fans, it it really is a blessing, and I really am grateful. So you know, whatever they want, we got to give it to them. And there very- are songs in our catalog that I would love to be able to perform, you know, and that'll come uh, with a longer set. Like I said, you know, for instance, if we let's say if we just get a residency in Las Vegas, then we'll be able to put in all those extra songs that I love so much. (laughs) And would some of those songs be, for example, something from Electric Cafe? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there was a big gap, if I've done my research correctly, there was a big gap between the Christmas record and Electric Cafe. And it was great to see a new record from En Vogue. Is that something that you hope to do again in the near future, make more music? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we want to continue as for as long as we can. <laughs> We're loving it. We're still having fun. 
um, it, it seems like the demand for the group is, is more than it's always ever been, actually. And uh, we're, we're still doing great tours. And, you know, we love going out with our comrades in the business. And um, it's, it's still a lot of fun. Well, who do you think those comrades are? And I ask that because it's easy to say if there's a grunge tour where they put together a couple of bands from the early 90s, okay, obviously Candlebox is friends with this band and this band, but who do you look at as your peers, the the artists that you're proud to tour with and know? Well, we do a lot of shows with SWV, Salt and Pepper. Um, actually, really good example. Two shows coming up this weekend um, is with MC Hammer. And what's really cool is Hammer came out before we did. And, um, but when we released Hold On, which was in 1990, that was our first single, um, we only had one single at the time, but it took off, right? And Hammer, even though we only had one single, he invited us out on tour with him with just that one song. And he supported us like nobody's business. I mean, he would come out. He'd look at our show, he'd critique it, he'd tell us, you know, um, where we need to uh, uh, kick it up a notch. He'd tell us, hey, you guys, get on, get on, don't feel bad, get on our speakers, get on my speakers, I don't mind. He was so encouraging and so supportive, so it's going to be so good and so much fun to be out with him again this weekend. He's definitely one of our peers and, and one of our huge supporters, and we'll be forever grateful to him for, you know, offering us that opportunity because it was a huge, huge, huge step for us. And it, it really set the pace for us getting our feet wet, getting out there performing live. And, right, you know, because of that, we were able to tour, have our own headline tour after that. Yeah, a lot of people don't talk about Hammer's embracing of younger artists. I believe he took out TLC on their first tour as well. So Hammer is, of course, Interesting to see that he's revitalized his career long term. You know, of course, he went away a certain yeah. number of years, yet you've continued yeah. to work nonstop, which I think is incredible. But that said, mm -hmm. is there anything that you're still hoping that En Vogue will accomplish? Oh, heck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we love a residency in Las Vegas. We, uh, we, we love to tour, so we want to continue to tour. We want to do more new music, get in the studio, and uh, continue to record. We'd love, we'd love a movie under our belts, another movie. And let's see what else. As much as possible. We just want to keep having fun. You know, we want to keep having fun and, and to continue to, to work in this business. Absolutely makes sense. So I guess in closing, uh, any last words for the kids? To trust and believe in yourself, um, hone your craft, whatever that may be, be the best you can be at it, learn the business of it, um, because everything is business, <laughs> and follow your dreams. Last but not least is my chat with Grammy Award winning singer, songwriter, and guitarist Kev Moe. His latest album is titled Oklahoma, and it came out on June 14th through Concord Records. I spoke with Keb before the release of Oklahoma, and during our interview, he also told me about his following album, which sounds to already be completed. Hi, is this Keb? Yeah, you Darren? This is Darren. Still a good time for you? Yeah, good. Before I ask you about Oklahoma, I want to ask you about your name. 
I'm curious with having apostrophes in the name, does it ever get annoying with signs or, or, you know, getting things done on computers where it may say no restricted characters, only letters and numbers? Uh, not much. No. Other people deal with that. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Glad I mean, to hear that for your yeah, sake, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's probably held me back significantly in my life, but I don't care. <laughs> Well, punctuation aside, one of my favorite things about your career is that you don't have to have a hit song for you to continue to play big theaters and big festivals and all that. As in, people go, this guy's a real artist. I'm going to see a real artist play. And I'm curious when you figured out that you didn't need hit songs to keep thriving and making a living. I have, when I got signed to Sony and years before that, I went under the premise that I was never going to get played on the radio and I was never going to have a hit song, you know? And if I did get one, that would be a big stroke of luck, you know? So I just went with the the guys. Everything had to be as good as it could possibly be. And uh, and it had to just stand up on its own. So if someone heard it, they would want to play it. They would actually want to listen to it. So, um, I wanted to be a hit in the house, not on the radio. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But Oklahoma, of course, has its moments where you go, this can be an anthem, this can be a hit song in a way. And I'm curious, when you knew that you were going to making an album rather than just going, well, I've written a couple of songs and I'll see what I'm going to do with them. Well, it's always like that. You've just written a couple of songs. But it's, 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 the thing is, every, at every juncture, when I'm writing and along the way, in the back of my mind, I know that I'm making a record. You know, it's like I'm not going, okay, I got a record, I got to make a record for this record. I know that all the time I have to make a record, and that record has to be truthful. So every time I sit down and write, I write about the truth. And time being like a circular kind of uh, event, I just, when I, when I, when it comes time to make the record, and if I have eight songs that I really like, or 10 or 12 or four, you know, of all the bunch, I got the basis of a record. Then, once, then, then everything from there is downhill because there's a momentum. And once you get the, the, the lion's share of the songs done, and then they usually kind of become a theme of, of their own accord because the theme is my experience of the world, you know. So, And the experience I'm having tends to be kind of flows in a chronological, creative, um, I say, a, um, cohesive kind of way, if that makes any sense. It definitely makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious when, with this whole process, that you knew that it was going to have the Oklahoma name and theme to the record. Oklahoma was the last song written for the record. Um, and that's usually how a lot of my records are. The last song becomes the title. You know, um, like the first, my, my second record, Just Like You, Just Like You was the last song. Yeah. And so I had all the songs, and Oklahoma was just an idea I had rolling around. And uh, I had a writing session with uh, my co-writer on that song, Tara Tucker, who I didn't know was from Oklahoma, and we were going to write a song. And so when she said she was from Oklahoma, I wasn't going to write this Oklahoma song because I had no reference point and no, not to really get get it going. So 
we got in and we started sharing ideas and talking about the state of Oklahoma and what goes on there, everything from you know, the trailer tears to tornadoes, um, uh, Black Wall Street, um, Indians, displaced cowboys, you know, Oklahoma bombing, you know, all these things are going on and all the great musicians that came from Oklahoma as well, you know. So, so we took up this kind of thing and so we wrote the song. I still wasn't convinced I was going to put it on the record, you know, and let alone, let alone be the title cut till, you know, Robert Randolph came in and he, uh, played, I had him play. He was here working on the, on the, on another record. So I had him play up a, 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 a little bit on the Oklahoma cause I just, he was here. I wanted to play on the, on the off chance. Maybe he could, he could, he could be on the record. And I play. I had him play on the vamp of Oklahoma, and 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 the, and this, it's like I walked backwards from the vamp towards the front of the song, so that everything about the song would lead to that vamp. So in a sense, the song is the is the vamp, you know, uh, and these uh, Oklahoma. The actual song is an intro to the vamp. When an artist comes up with an album title, and of course they have to say it in every interview and every appearance, and they hold up the record, and in concert they say, this is the song for my new album, blank, of course they become associated with that and people start to bring them memorabilia. Well, I'm curious in your case, have people just started bringing you Oklahoma everything since you know the album came to light? Well, it's still not out yet, so it hasn't really reached its full announcement, but... Um a lot of people have said, well, I see Oklahoma all the time now. Every time I look up, there's a license plate Oklahoma. There's Oklahoma just pops up all over the place. You know, it's like a woman or a sign, you know, about the, but um, I, uh, people have said, why Oklahoma? That's the curiosity. of It's like this out of the blue idea. Like, why, why did you call it record Oklahoma? <laughs> so it should have been like Mississippi or Alabama or even Compton would make sense. You know what I mean? Oklahoma, <laughs> dude, what's wrong with you? you know? So, but it is, it was clearly the theme of the record. I would have been on the same path with Oklahoma with saying why there, but I had the pleasure of going to Tulsa last year and seeing Black Wall Street and knowing that the Leon Russell collection is being developed into a museum and all that. And I'm curious if you have, you know, been all over Oklahoma or mostly just Tulsa and Oklahoma City because that's where you toured. I went to... Oklahoma, I guess it's tough. It was Oklahoma City. For benefit for it, for a, for a tornado with Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I haven't been to, to, to Oklahoma that much, but um, and I don't. I get a gig. I think I'm, I might have two gigs Oklahoma my whole career. I think I've been there twice. You know, and but when I went when I went to the, the aftermath of the tornado, and I saw that I was going. Oh wait a minute! This place is, you know, this is this is this. I, I mean, I've seen earth, earthquakes in L.A. You know, but you know, an earthquake tears things out. It'll knock a building down from here and there, but something that can just shoot through a whole town. <laughs> it's like you know, wow. So I was um, in awe of of what happens there. And then when, I look, when you look at the history, like I said, the musicians that come out of there, like Leon Russell and Gap Band. 
Vince Gill and all the, you know, the, the, the and then there's the, the Black Walls. It's just this, this, this mixture of controversy and culture and history that's like really magical, you know, and to me, Oklahoma, you know, to highlight that history is to highlight the, the history of the whole nation, you know, it's a, of all challenges. It's, it's about challenges, you know, and rising above and being, you know, rising out of the ashes, Oklahoma. The title is Oklahoma, but it's really not totally about Oklahoma. You know, it's about rising, rising out of the ashes. Right. And away from all the music, you're one of those guys that everyone knows specifically the music, but people don't know, you know, who's Kev Mo beyond the music. Are there any hobbies or, or passions that you have that you mind sharing? Um, I have no hobbies. So, so it's really I, all music all the time for you? It's either music or loafing. My, my one hobby is reading. Reading, reading about meta, metaphysics is probably my other hobby. But it's not a hobby. It's, it's, a, it's like my spiritual... That's my spiritual basis, which I base my life on. Interesting. And, you know, Oklahoma, as you said, is not out yet. Of course, we, the press, have it a little bit earlier than that. But do you know what the next two, three years of your life look like because you have a record in the can? Or are you more the guy that takes things one gig and one tour at a time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I look, I look at what's right in front of me. I'm not planning for three or four years ahead and all that stuff. I'm just for... But... um. I mean, the only thing I know about this year, I have a Christmas record coming out <laughs> during the holidays. So that's about as far as I go. And does that Christmas record have originals on there or is it more traditionals? It has some uh, originals, lots of originals, and it has a few traditionals on there. I do a cover of uh, Coco Taylor's uh, Merry, Merry Christmas, you know, and... Uh, it's like that. So it's, it's, and there's some, there's some more traditional kind of like exotic, you know, classic Christmas songs on there. It's, you know, so when you hear it, you know, there's one sarcastic song about Christmas. It's called Christmas is Annoying on there. So it's fun. You know, it's romantic. It's fun. It's, it's dirty. You know, <laughs> it's, it's everything. Definitely looking forward to hearing that. So I guess uh, in closing, any last words for the kids? For the kids? Uh, um, follow your heart. Please live your life to your own tune. And do what makes you feel good. And everything will just work out just perfectly. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.